Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 says this. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not our might. Whose might? His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So we dealt with that last week. We're gonna now deal with this next portion of scripture and it starts in verse 14. It says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Every shout peace. 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 I love, how many of you love peace? <laughs> all right. We all love peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This morning, as we continue on in our series, The Digital Gospel, I want to speak to you from the subject, Stranger Things Part 2, as we look at the spiritual reality of our lives and the tools given by God in order to help us stand firm in our life and faith. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you this morning, first and foremost, for your grace in our life. We thank you for your presence. Your word says that where two or more gathered, you are in our midst, and we know that you are in our midst right now. God, and it's in your presence that we find freedom, that we find hope, we find joy, we find a refuge, we find strength, we find everything necessary for life and for faith. So God, I pray this morning that through your word you would equip us, that you would challenge us, that you would ultimately transform us, God. We love you and we worship you. And I thank you for this amazing group of people, God. I pray that you would bless them this morning exceedingly and abundantly above that which they could ever ask, hope, or imagine. We pray all these things. In your magnificent name. And everybody shouted, Amen. Amen. I don't know if you would agree with me, but at different times and in different moments and in different situations in life, what you wear is important, right? Ladies, you know what I'm talking about, right? What you wear is important. Gentlemen, probably don't have a clue, but what you wear is important, right? Um, I know that my wife will occasionally tell me to change something that, that doesn't match or it's redundant in nature. I did have a conversation this morning with a gentleman coming into our church about whether denim on denim was appropriate um, or not. It, I, it was an awkward conversation, uh, one that I've never had before church before. Uh, but what you wear is important. If you go to formal events, formal attire is, is important, right? And if you are maybe at a funeral or at a wedding, then, then there's certain attire that's important. It's, it, it's always Good to understand what's necessary for the occasion that you find yourself in. Well, Paul, the apostle who's writing this letter to the Ephesians, uh, was kind of suggesting the same thing. He was saying, what you wear is extremely important. What you put on is extremely important because there's, there's moments in life, there's situations and there's circumstances in life that require a necessary dress code if you will. There's certain circumstances that you're going to face in life. There's moments that you're going to have in life that what you are wearing, what you've put on for the day is extremely important. 
But he's not suggesting that it's the brand of jeans or the, or the degree of tightness to which those jeans are. It's not the depth of your V-neck or the color of your flannel. It's not the brand that you wear, okay? What he's talking about is this armor that he's encouraging all of us to put on. And I bet you this morning, maybe you didn't think that you were encouraged to put on armor versus jeans, all right? But how many of you know that walking naked out of your house is a big no-no? Okay, I think most of us would agree on that truth, right? Well, Paul is suggesting that it's no different with this armor, this armor from God that he's given to us, that he's provided for us. It's necessary to put it on day in and day out, moment after moment, minute after minute, week after week, year after year, month after month, wherever you find yourself, the armor of God is an extremely important part of our lives. And so this morning, we're gonna take some time to look at each of these pieces of armor that he deals with very specifically. Now, many of us have, maybe if you come from a church background, um, then you've, you've heard about the armor of God. You've talked about the armor of God. Maybe it was in Sunday school when it was on flannel graph or overhead projectors. You remember those days, right? The church got crazy when it went to overhead projection. And so... <laughs> So maybe you've heard about it, maybe you've talked about it, maybe you've read this particular piece of scripture, but I want to dive into it this morning. I want to dive into it with a little bit more depth and, and deal with each of these pieces. And we're going to kind of walk step by step, verse by verse, through this part of Paul's writing. So with that this morning, I need you to shout number one for me. Number one, the first thing that Paul deals with is he says, having fastened on the belt of, of truth. Having fastened on the belt of truth. One Bible commentary that I was reading this weekend wrote this, says this, truth is the integrating force in the life of a victorious Christian. Truth is the integrating force in the life of a victorious Christian. To fasten our lives together with the belt of truth is to commit to a life that is held together, fastened together with truth. Come on, show of hands, how many of you believe that truth is important? Yeah. Most of us would agree that truth is, is important. What I've come to find most truthful about our lives and faith is that there is a constant battle between what is true and what is a lie, what is true and what is false. And this is the real battle that most of us actually face, whether we would necessarily dial it in that way or not. One of the enemy's greatest tactics is the continual use of lies that tend to keep us suspended and controlled in our lives. It's amazing how many people I've met that have bought into a lie. Come on, show of hands now. Let's be honest and vulnerable and transparent this morning. How many of you would say at one moment or another in life, you've bought into a lie, right? They're called infomercials, okay? <laughs> Some of you were like, I was really hoping that app machine would work, all right? <laughs> all I got to do is just do this? <laughs> no, it's not all you got to do. Trust me, right? We've bought into a lie. Many of us have done it, whether it's, whether it's been innocent, for lack of better terms, like infomercials, or we've bought into the lie of the things that were spoken over our lives. Come on. We've bought into the lies that, that, we've, that we've been given and, and fed most of our lives. We've bought into the half-truths, which at the end of the day, come on, folks, half-truth is still a lie. We've bought into the subtleties that the enemy distracts us with. And remember, I'm going to use this term, the devil or, or, or the enemy, and, and there's a reason for that. We talked about it la last week. But we've got to understand that Paul is encouraging us that truth has to gird our lives. Truth has to be the belt that holds it all together. We have to be in constant pursuit of 
truth and contrary to popular opinion, there is truth and it is absolute. One of the greatest reasons that we get squirmy when it comes to this issue of truth is because truth equals vulnerability, openness, transparency, and personal reflection. To have truth operating in our lives means that we are in a continual process day in and day out, one that does not afford us any moment of retreat or pause. We have to be committed to truth. Now the belt that Paul uses, his imagery was a belt that would hold all the armor of a soldier together and eventually, listen, eventually the same belt is what the sword would be suspended from. Now Paul will talk about this in the backside of, this, of these verses that were as he says, the sword of truth. Here's what I want us to understand this morning. It's hard to yield the truthful word of God when we haven't integrated truth into our lives. If we are gonna suspend this sword, this, this sword of truth, his, his word, we have to bind ourselves together. We have to outfit ourselves with, with truth. Now, Psalm 32, I love Psalm 32. Many of us have heard of King David. In Psalm 32, King David tells us of the pain and the agony and the frustration of holding a lie in. Now, let's not show any hands this morning, but how many of you ever held a lie in before? You know what I'm talking about? It just grates at you. It eats away. You ever been there before? Right? We know when our kids are doing it. We watch how that internal struggle, I know there's been moments that I've held things in that should have been cast into the light of God's grace and, and truth. I know that I counsel, uh, I counsel couples when it comes to this issue of truth. We've got to allow the truth of God's word to shine light into the dark places of our lives. Why? Because bad things cannot breed in the light. Bad things only breed in the darkness. So Paul is saying you gotta gird yourself. Now Psalm 32, talking about David, tells of this time, tells of this storyline, while David for over a year would hold in a lie. He would hide his indiscretions with this chick named Bathsheba, all right? Many of you may know this story. And his lies would eat him from the inside out. And he found that when he held in untruth, it literally destroyed who he was on the inside. Listen to what he says, verses one through five. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God's grace is realized in his truth. When we are open, when we're vulnerable, when we, when we decide to let out the, the lies that we've bought into, the lies that we've produced, when truth is the belt around our life, then we are able to understand and allow ourselves to experience God's grace and presence as a whole new level. So the first thing that we need to understand about our armor is that we have to fasten on the belt of truth. Come on, this morning I want everybody to just go like this with me. Come on, fasten on your belt this morning. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, this is me putting on the belt of truth. Some of you are like, this just got awkward in church. It's all right. Every shot number two for me? Number two. The second thing that Paul writes is this. He says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
the breastplate of righteousness. Now there's two kind of theological realities that we find in scripture. One, there's righteousness that is accounted to us by way of our, our faith decision in Jesus, right? We are made righteous in the eyes of God. It is a gift that is through grace by our faith. It is about salvation. We now stand rightly before God the minute we said yes to Jesus, right? Nothing can change that. You cannot earn that. You cannot produce that. There is the righteousness that you stand in because of the gift and the sacrifice of Jesus. Are we clear? Okay. But then there's another theological overtone that we need to understand. And it has nothing to do with our salvation. It has everything to do with our living. They call it righteous living. Okay. We're not talking about perfection. None of us are capable of perfection, but what we're talking about is allowing God's word, his truth, to work itself out practically in our lives. It's an important reality that we need to understand. See, the enemy, the devil, he accuses us before God, the Bible highlights for us. He stands before God and says, see, 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 look at them. Look at what they've done. Look at this. Look at this. And Jesus says, when we have placed our faith in him, he's like, "Uh uh-uh, sorry, bro. You can't bring your accusatory statements here because they stand righteous because my blood has covered them because they've said yes to me, right? So he accuses and his accusations fall on deaf ears. So then there's another way that the enemy tries to get involved in our life. He says, if I can't accuse them before Jesus, then I'm going to wreak havoc on their life if they give me any space to do so. Okay? Now, this isn't to scare any of us because at the end of the day, like Paul's admonishing us, we have the ability to stand therefore against the schemes of the enemy. But he says, listen, you got to put on the breastplate of righteousness, He's not asking for perfection, but he's saying we've got to give ourselves over to right living. James puts it this way. James chapter 1, 23 to 25, he says this, but be doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. You ever done that before? Hmm. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, we understand this at a very practical level. Parents especially understand this. How many of you know how amazing your day is when your children are not just a hearer of your word, but a doer of your word? (laughs) Right? You know, I was talking about the other day. I said, hey, Justice, can you help me with something? I named off what I needed. And, I, and I'm a gracious father because, well, I need grace too. And so I let about five minutes to go by just knowing that, like, you know, the parish boys are a little bit slower on the uptake. And so I, I gave him some time and then I went in there and I was like, boy, did you hear me? He's like, yeah, dad, I heard you. What are you doing? Oh, I just wanted to stay playing with my Legos. That's what he did. He just stayed there. And then I realized I do the same thing because Erica and I have the same conversation. Jason, did you hear me? (laughs) Yeah, I did. But there's this weird disconnect that happens between hearing something and doing something. Man, it's a great day when hearing and doing come together, right? And that's what Paul is saying. We have to put on the breastplate of righteousness, right living, We've got to allow the word of God to become practical and personal in our lives. Number three, the third thing that Paul highlights for us 
is this. He says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I love that. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, the Roman soldier wore sandals with these nails called hobnails. They would be hammered through the soles of the shoes going down to give them better footing during battle. To us today, they would be best described as cleats. Catching on quick. It's awesome. (laughs) Cleats. We all understand cleats. If we're going to stand and withstand the schemes of the enemy, the storms of life, the instability of culture, the uncertainty of change, we need some grip. Come on, everybody turn to your neighbor this morning and just say, we need some grip. Come on. (laughs) Grip is a necessary commodity when it comes to our walk of life and faith. Now, this idea of the gospel of peace is really this connective tissue that Paul's inciting when, it, when he's trying to connect another piece of scripture that we know, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. All right? Peace. We have to have the readiness for life that is produced by the gospel of peace. In other words, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. This is important. Peace creates the grip necessary for life. Peace creates the grip necessary for life. But what we have to realize is that peace is not something that we produce. (laughs) Come on, church. It is something that we participate in. And I want to be very careful this morning because I don't, what I don't want to do is I don't want to try to create seven principles for producing peace in your life. 10 things you could do to produce peace in your life. Because ultimately what we're saying then is that peace is a product of our ability to conjure up. But peace is not about our ability. Peace is about God's presence. I find peace in God's presence, not in what I do, not in my steps, not in my fancy keys, not in any of those things. I find peace in the presence of God. And we worship the way that we do every Sunday morning because ultimately peace is found in the presence of God. And where there's two or more gathered. He is in our midst. And when we stand together and we sing praises and we clap our hands and we lift our voices, God's presence is felt and there is peace in our lives. I don't know about you, but come on, is there anybody in this house this morning that needs a little bit of peace in their life? Would you agree with me that our nation needs a little peace right now? Peace creates the grip necessary for life, but what we have to realize is it's not something that we produce, it's something that we participate in. Psalm 29, 11, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Psalm 119, 165, great peace have those who love your law. Isaiah 9, 6, for, us to, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and we will call him wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. All right, Isaiah 54, 10, for the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed. John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. 
peace, Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, Colossians 3, 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Peace. And that's not my opinion, that's just the Bible, right? Can we just imagine... peace. That's what it is. So many times we can look at this thing and he's like, it doesn't make sense to me. Just find these scriptures. Did that make sense to everybody? Peace. Check this out though. When we find peace in Christ, we can become peacemakers in our world. Something that our generation so desperately needs right now. It's when we experience peace that we become peacemakers. And peacemakers are not about policy. They're not about politics. They're not about power. They're not about popularity. But rather, they're about presence. And where the presence of the Lord is, there's freedom. Come on, ever shout number four for me. Number four. Paul goes on to say, in all circumstances. Ever shout all? all. Come on, ever shout all? all. Come on, ever shout all? all? All means all, and that's all all means. In all circumstances, Take up the shield of faith. The imperative found here is all, not some circumstances, but all. And this is a word for some of us in here this morning. Somehow we've been tricked into only taking up our shield of faith in some circumstances, only when it seems conducive to have faith or acceptable to have faith or politically correct to have faith or socially acceptable to have faith. But Paul says, no, in all circumstances, take up your shield of faith. Now this shield was large, usually about four feet by two feet, made of wood, covered with tough leather, all right? And as the soldier held it before him, it protected him from spears, arrows, and fiery darts, literally. The edges of these shields were so constructed that an entire line of soldiers could interlock shields and march into the enemy like a solid wall. I love that picture. As we take up our shield of faith, as Seth takes up his shield of faith, as David takes up his shield of faith, as Stephen does and as Mike does and all of us in here, we can come together and we can lock our shields together. And this brother may be hurting right here, but we're going to press on into the enemy, locked together, having faith, and we will be able to be the overcomers, yet the more than conquerors that Christ has called us. I love our guys' meetings on Mondays right now. We're doing, our, we're doing these guys' meetings. We have somewhere in the ballpark of about 35 men showing up on Monday nights. Yeah. And there's shields of faith being lifted in there. And this year I said we're on a war path because this church is going to be about raising up men and women who can fight the fight of faith. And there's guys in here who are confessing things and opening up our lives and being vulnerable. And I watch every single week with tears in my eyes as shields of faith are being lifted. As men declare, I'm going to conquer that. I'm going to beat that. I'm going to win over that. I'm going to win my family back. I'm going to win my faith back. I'm going to take on this world that God has for me. This is where I get excited. (laughs) Man, faith is quickly becoming a lost tool in the hands of Christ followers, and we need it now more than ever. We cannot abdicate our faith. Joshua 10, I love this story. Joshua 
takes over from Moses, leads the children into the promised land. They're fighting battles, they're dealing with things, and they come up to this moment where five armies are against the army of Joshua. So Joshua prays this amazing prayer, and this is what he says. God, he says, sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. This was Joshua's prayer. God, can you make the sun stand still? It was the first ever recorded moment of daylight savings. (laughs) Faith in the hands of a Christ follower is one of the most powerful weapons one could have. Look, we could view this scripture however you want to, prescriptive, descriptive, however you want to view it, but at the end of the day, it's still talking about the same thing, the same truth. Faith in the hands of a Christ follower changes everything. I told a story in the first service, and I have to. I felt like God put this on my story. It's not something that we've told or on my heart to tell this morning. It's not a story that we've talked openly about very much. We might have shared a little bit, but we moved into this facility a year ago. I hope this stirs some faith in some people this morning because I want you to hear that it's okay to pray big prayers. It's okay to ask God to make the sun stand still over your life. It's okay to pray big, audacious, freaky, wild, hairy prayers, all right? And so we're getting this building. We're trying to figure this whole thing out. And the church, you know, we're a growing church, if you haven't noticed. And so we grew out of our old building and we're trying to figure out and we stepped into this big, massive building looking at, hey, man, this would be a great spot for our church, But we realized the financial obligations and everything necessary to do it was a big, massive, crazy step. So we got together our board, who was masterful in the whole thing and helped keep me sane. They held some shields of faith up around me. But they said, how are we going to do this? So we all started talking. We all started trying to figure out. I said, hey, why don't we just come up with a, let's tell them what we want. So we said, okay, well, let's tell them what we want. So we came up with one. We got our real estate agent involved and we said, okay. Go to them and we want to tell them that we want $60,000 in tenant improvements that we are not going to pay for and we don't want to pay rent for a year. <laughs> so we went to them with that. And the, relays, the, the, the agents went, <laughs> you're cute. He said, this is what we want. This is, this is what it's going to be. This is, our, this is our deal. And so pretty much it got pushed off the table. You, get, you guys are out of your mind. We're a smaller church at that point. So we walked away from it. We're looking at other pieces of property throughout the valley trying to figure it out. And so came back. I was in Park City. We're frustrated. The board's frustrated. We're, we're trying to figure out what God has for us. And so I was in Park City uh, at a wedding that we were a part of. And we stayed up there overnight. And I woke up about 2 o'clock in the morning, just, just stirred. And I wrote my my manifesto to the board. It's like my Jerry Maguire moment, right? And I sent it to the board and it was three pages long on email. Some of them probably didn't even read it, right? Because they're just, this is Jason going over time again. And so, so we have this moment, we type this out, we get together with the board and we're like, well, this is where we feel like we're supposed to be. This is where we feel like God is leading us. And so we went back and we said, hey, here's the deal. And they're like, no, this is, this is not what it's gonna be. So we just let it sit, let it sit again. Now we're getting to the point at the beginning of the year where a lot of growth starts to take place. Everybody starts coming back from vacation and now we're starting to get like sweaty. Like, oh my gosh, where are we gonna put all these people? What's going on and everything like that? And so we get a call from the real estate agent. They said, hey, we need to have a meeting with you and, uh, and Jason, me, the real estate agent. So I sat down and they said, what is it gonna take to get you guys into this facility? And I said, well, we've already told you what, what it's gonna take. 
We've, we've given you about them. They're like, okay, well, let, let, let's talk here. Let, let's, can we like lower down some of the money? Can we go like three months? Maybe we'll give you three months free rent and we'll give you like $30,000. Which to all of us, maybe even sitting in here, like, that's great. Take the deal. We said, no. Because our church, mm, we're not quite ready. We're not quite in that place where we can take everything on. We, we need this. This is what we want. We want a running start for our church. I want 60 grand. I want a year free. We gotta say what we gotta say. We gotta believe what we're gonna believe. Sun stands still over Gibeon, right? So they're like, guys, sorry. I remember being in Disneyland, Labor Day weekend after our sister's wedding, standing in the ferry line at the Peter Pan ride. Ferries everywhere, the happiest place on earth, which is not true. <laughs> I did not leave there happy, <laughs> left there stressed. <laughs> My phone rings, and I said, I'm not answering the phone for any reason we're on vacation unless it's our, our, our board or our real estate agent. So the phone rings, and I get on the phone with our, our real estate agent. I was like, what's up, man? I'm standing in the ferry line. This better be good. So <laughs> He's like, hey, um, we got a contract. And I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean we got a, got a contract? He's like, they called me today. They're giving you the year. They're giving you the 60 grand. Yeah. I said, wait, wait. I said, What? What? What are we doing? He's like, yeah, they're, they're, they're doing the contract. They have a few little stipulations. And I was like, well, what's that? They're like, we, they just want you in by the end of the month. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> sure, we'll do that, right? But that was a stipulation. Church, you got to understand something. This past year that we've been in this building, the church has been able to find itself in such a position of strength because of a sun standstill prayer, because of a faith prayer, because of shields of faith. We haven't paid rent in this building for an entire year Okay? Some of you aren't even hearing the story. You're just like, where'd all the money go then? What's going on? I get that. Why are we doing tithes and offerings? <laughs> Obedience. We'll talk about that later, all right? We got ourselves into a position that we want to be in as a church, a design to be able to take on the God moments in the life of our church. But we don't take on God moments without raising a shield of faith, a standard to which we are gonna live by. And some of us here this morning, you've got some marriages that you need to start raising your shield of faith. You've got some addictions where we need to start raising our shields of faith. We've got some life change that's happening and we gotta start raising our shields of faith. We live in a nation that doesn't need Christians bickering and fighting. It needs us raising our shield of faith. Number five. Take up the helmet of salvation. Take up your shield of faith. Take up the helmet of salvation. This one's really quick because it's gonna, it's gonna roll into the next piece of our armor. But Paul says when you put on the helmet of salvation, what he's dealing with is two issues. Our mind and how it grows. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to grow in both grace and knowledge, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. To grow in grace means that our mind finds itself submitted to Christ. And in that, we become more Christ-like in nature. John says, I must decrease, he must 
increase in my life. And oh, what an amazing thing when our mind becomes submitted to Christ and our nature changes, our character changes, everything about us changes. When we think differently according to God's word, according to his standard, according to his grace, we become more humble, we become more pliable, we become more apt to lift our shields of faith, we become more apt to be slow to speak and quick to listen, less judgmental, engaging the culture and the world and the city around around us, we become grace-based, grace-filled people. We grow in grace, but we also grow in knowledge. Listen, knowledge and grace are not mutually ex- exclusive. We're either an all-grace church. We love grace. Grace is so good, it's like a soft little teddy bear. Or we're a knowledge church. We gotta speak truth. We just gotta give people truth. Listen to what the Bible says about Jesus. Says this, John 1:14, and the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Watch what he was full of. Full of grace and truth. Jesus himself was not mutually exclusive to himself. He was full of grace and truth. The woman caught in the act of adultery, thrown out into the dirt before him. He picked her up and said, nobody can condemn you and neither do I. Grace, but go and sin no more. Truth. Come on, somebody. This is who we are allowing our lives. So when we guard ourselves, when we put on the belt, when we put on the breastplate, when we put on these sandals, when we strap our helmet on, It's all starting to come together, but then there's one piece of this puzzle left. He says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God. This helps with the knowledge aspect that our mind is supposed to be wrestling with. Grace. God helps us with grace. He imputes this amazing gift into us, but knowledge we grow in as well. It really does amaze me when the same person who tells me they don't have time to read their Bible can somehow have the entire roster of their football team memorized, including all applicable stats dating back to the birth of all players and the beginning of the team. Did you know that so-and-so scored 42 touchdowns and blah, 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 blah. What's John 3.16 say? A little challenge here at the end of the message. Because last time I checked the stats for the Seattle Seahawks, although being Lord's team, (laughs) have never helped me. It amazes me when you don't have the time to read your Bible and grow in the knowledge of God, but somehow you can post on Facebook every recipe you want to make, every blog that you have read, and you either agree or don't disagree with, and every picture you have taken throughout your time of reading said blogs and posting about said recipes getting quiet in church. (laughs) Look, can I be your pastor for a minute? We need his word in our lives. What I'm saying this morning is that we got to stop blaming time for what we simply don't prioritize. You may say, well, Jason, it's easy for you. Your job is to study the Bible. And I would say, no, it's not. My job, part of my job is I prepare messages for these mornings that we have together. But the word of God 
is a necessity for my life. I have to be in this for me. Listen, church. I need this for me. I'm no different. I'm just a dude who functions. My function is pastor, but I introduced myself this morning to everybody as, hi, my name is Jason. I'm broken. I have a story. There's some things that have happened in my life. I need the word of God just as much as you need the word of God. Because at the foot of the cross, it's a level playing field. I don't stand on a higher platform because I'm better. And we need to understand this this morning, that we need the word of God. Church, I go through my moments where I need him, where I'm facing temptation, I'm facing sin, I'm facing situations that I don't understand. I'm trying to figure out how to raise my kids. I'm trying to figure out how to be a husband to my wife. I'm still trying to figure out what she's saying to me. So I need the word of God. Lord, download it, please. We gotta get this straight, church. Come on, everybody stand to your feet. We're no different. Look around. We're no different. So we lock arms. We raise our shields of faith. We challenge each other. We structure our lives around this. We believe for greater things for each other. Because we're no different. We're no different. And so we ready ourselves with the word of God. Because every single one of us are going to find ourselves in a battle at some point this week. We're going to find ourselves in a moment. We got to pull this thing out. Come on. What'd you put on this morning? Did you stroll out your house naked this morning? <laughs> or did you put on the armor of God? Did you strap on that belt of truth? Come on, did you throw on that breastplate of righteousness? Did you tie up them sandals that give you grip when storms are pushing against you? Did you put on the helmet of salvation to guard your mind, to grow in grace and to grow in the knowledge of God? Come on, and did you take your sword, strap it on so that, that when God says, no weapon formed against you, shall prosper. Why? Because I'm ready.